Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. This morning we're reading from Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her into the man. And Adam said, This now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Good morning to you. It's wonderful to see you. Which would you say is the most, uh, the uh, closest relationship? A mom to her child, or a husband to his wife? And the answer is, a husband to his wife, because only in reference to this relationship does the Bible say two people become one flesh. That's the closest one. Now, hold that thought. When you get to Genesis chapter 2, which was just read in your hearing, the Bible says that God made a woman from the rib of a man, from Adam. She had Adam first, and he was alone. No help meet for him. And God made a woman, and she married, or he married them in the garden. Adam said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And then you have this line at the end that says, they were both naked, the husband and the wife, the man and his wife. And then this last clause that I really want to focus on, and they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. Now, when you, you, you read commentaries about this, and what you find is pretty much the same. It's kind of intuitive, and it says that there is nothing of which to be ashamed. They're the only humans on earth. They're husband and wife. It's not a matter of ignorance. It's a matter of innocence. They were simply innocent. It's very beautiful, just a very beautiful picture. But there's something else in that. They were not ashamed implies that one day people would be ashamed. And of course, there came a time when, when man saw fit to corrupt what God had made and and suddenly there were circumstances related to the closeness of man and woman that attached shame. Shame was attached to it. The word intimacy is a, it comes from a Latin word, and it means inmost. That's one word, inmost. And it, it depicts a relationship in the context that we're talking about it today between a man and his wife. And we talk about the intimacy of marriage. The Bible bears that out, and it's a very unique relationship. It is, it is a very high relationship that God created. And the intimate relationship between husband and wife is only reserved for this, and God's very serious about that. And it's interesting that, that when you start seeing passages about this sexual relationship between a husband and his wife, you find it phrased like this. Lot said in Genesis 19 about his daughters. They have known not a man. Now, the same terminology in Luke chapter 1 and verse 34, when the angel is talking to, 
to Mary and says, you're going to have a baby. And she said, how can I be pregnant? I don't see how this is even possible because, ready? I know not a man. I know not a man. Now, why would that terminology be applicable to the intimacy of marriage? And the answer is that, that this is to know someone at an exceedingly high level. I'm quite sure that we do not grasp the profundity of the intimate relationship in marriage. I'm, I'm quite sure that we don't. God, God drew a, a red line at this point in reference to intimacy in marriage and intimacy outside of marriage. You, know, you understand the concept of a red line, and presidents for the last couple of decades have used this term to deal with the foreign entities and threats. And they'll say, now, now you're not going to do this. And sometimes it's biological warfare, chemical warfare, something that's just terrible. And our government will say, you can go this far, but if you cross this line, that's going to be it. There will be serious repercussions. And that is the red line. God has drawn a red line with reference to the intimacy of marriage. Outside of marriage, it is a sin against God. First Corinthians 6 and verse 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man commits is, is uh, outside the body. But if you commit this sin of fornication, it's against your own body. I know not a man means intimacy. It represents the intimacy that's described in marriage. Now what's happened, of course, is that What's happened is that the, the world around us has done that which is shameful. Oh, today, why, the, the floodgates have opened and you have in-your-face in kind of sensuality. And this, this is a very sexual generation in, in a way that there is no embarrassment. It, it really is very similar to, to Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 15 where the Bible says they, they had no shame. They could not be ashamed. They could not blush. Doesn't that aptly describe where we are today? Now, the red line is fornication. Here's the definition. The definition of fornication is probably what you think, but I need to make it very, very clear in order to launch into where we're going to go for this discussion today. It means illicit sexual intercourse. And examples of that are the ones that you read up here. Now, what you've got to understand then is the simplified definition of the word fornication, as you know, is sinful sex. That's it. The New King James has done us some damage on this because it is translated, those translators saw fit to define this word, pornea is the Greek word, to define it as sexual immorality. Now, all fornication is sexual immorality, but not all sexual immorality is fornication. And that's really important for this sermon. There are things that people... Did you take pornography, for example? Is pornography a sin against God? The answer is yes. And at the end of this sermon, you'll understand that, even though this sermon's not about pornography. We're going to talk about verses that would be applicable to that. Now, that's not, that's not pornea. That's not fornication. It's not that definition. And yet, and it's sexual, but it's not, it's not what the New King James, how it defined this word or translated this word. It's... it's uh, Sexual immorality, but it's not fornication. Got that? So there are sexual things that do not uh, come to the level of fornication, and yet they're still sexual sins. It's interesting to me, a couple of weeks ago I preached a sermon on alcohol. 
and, and uh, many of you, most of you were probably here. And in that sermon, made the observation that I think a lot of people who have scruples about alcohol consumption, and I, I guess all kinds of substance abuse, they, they figure that the, the red line, the, the line where you go into sin would be when you get drunk, drunk, drunk. At that point, then you've crossed the line. But anything shy of that, eh, that's not so bad. The same, the same thing is true in reference to what we're talking about here because many people see fornication as the only red line. I came today to say, that's not what the Bible says. That's not true. Let's talk about dancing. The elders have asked that once a year that we take time and we preach a sermon on this subject. And, and it is because this is the time of year when the proms are happening. I, I came to say today that I'm opposed to the prom. And in the West Huntsville Church, what we do is, first of all, to teach what the Bible has to say about this. And I think, frankly, it's a surprise to a lot of people. And I, I think you have a lot of adults who, you know, they just never have thought about this before. I just want to come and bring these passages of Scripture that trouble me when we talk about dancing. There are some passages which are very disturbing when you think about this subject and Christians who are trying to live a holy life before God. That's what I want to discuss today. Now, there are two kinds of dancing. Let's go to the next slide. Two kinds, in the Bible, I mean. You have the first kind, which I think probably is mentioned in more places, perhaps, than the second kind in specific. And the first kind is celebratory. Celebratory dancing. And there's nothing wrong with this. This is not opposed to God. God doesn't, it's not vulgar. God doesn't forbid this. You have 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning in verse 12, and David comes back from uh, retrieving the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines. It's been bad. It's been bad. But David gets it back, and you remember that he puts it on a cart and they roll it. That's not what God said. That's not how he ever, that's not what he taught him to do to transport the Ark of the Covenant. It's to be with staves on the shoulders of four men. That's how you carry it. But they put it on a cart. Uzzah reached up and, and stopped it when it was about to fall, and he was struck dead by God. David was just dumbfounded, frustrated. I was moving the Ark of the Covenant. I was so happy to have the Ark of the Covenant back, and now this. And so he takes it to the house immediately and puts it in the house of, of Obed. Edom, and for three months tries to figure this out, and ultimately does realize what's gone wrong here. So he comes back in very a lot of ceremony, and they take and they transport the ark in the way that God said on the shoulders of these men. And every, are you ready for this? Every six paces, they stop and offer animal sacrifice to God. He ain't gonna mess around with this anymore. He knows what he's got is holy here. He knows how serious God is. Every six paces, they offer sacrifice to God. And when they enter Jerusalem, the city of David, David is so excited. He's wearing a, a linen ephod garment. And he, it's daytime and you have lots of people and he's coming into Jerusalem and he begins to, as the Bible puts it here, he leaps and whirls around. Now this is not vulgar. There's nothing vulgar about it. He's doing it as rejoicing to God and, uh, and God doesn't disapprove him. 
God doesn't disapprove what he's doing. It's a leaping and a whirling before the Lord. Now, this is celebratory dance. It's very much what happens when you tell your children, we're going to go see grandma. And and they start doing this David dance. That's what happens. They're going to jump and they're going to whirl around and they're very happy. go, Go to Psalm. Look at the next one. 30 verse 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Celebratory. Exodus 15. This one's familiar to you. And the people of Israel crossed over the Red Sea that had parted by God. Now they're on the other side, but Pharaoh's army pursues them. When the army gets down to the middle of the Red Sea, God brings the waters back and the the army is just destroyed. Now talk about happy. The Israelites on the other side are just, I mean, they're just so happy. And Miriam and the other women with timbrels, they began to do a, a dance. It's not vulgar. It's in celebration of God. God does not criticize them. He doesn't rebuke them. It's just fine with him. And that's the first kind. Now, the second kind of dancing that's found in the Bible is what I'm calling salacious. I labored over this word about what word to use to describe the second kind. And and as we develop this, it won't be very difficult, but that's the second that's the second kind. Now, you find it in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 21. And I want to read part of this with you. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to start in 21. And you'll remember that, that John the Baptist has been imprisoned by Herod. Herod is, has married his brother Philip's wife. And John the Baptist said, are you ready? Now listen, it's not lawful for you to have her. It, it, it wasn't just that that it was wrong for him to marry her. It was wrong for him to marry her. It, it's, it's wrong for you to have her. You can't possess her. She's not yours. She is somebody else's. Got it? Well, Herodias, I mean, she was furious at, at, at John the Baptist and had Herod imprison him. Now, Herod's not so against John the Baptist, but he also is afraid of his wife Herodias, and, and anyway, there comes a, by and by, there comes a birthday for Herod. And so they have lots of these men in. And, and so far as I can tell, it was only men in that party. The nobles and the, the, the leaders, and they're all in celebrating Herod's birthday. And they thought they'd have a little entertainment. And so Salome, and we know that from tradition, but Salome comes in, who is Herodias' daughter. And she dances before the men. You have to use your imagination about the sound of that party at this time. The sounds, the voices, the words, the atmosphere of this. Uh, the presumption is that they were drinking. Doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that. But anyway, they asked this girl to come in and dance for them. And she does. Now, that's a different kind of dance. That's the, that's the kind of dance that makes a man's head swimming. And, and what he did, Herod said, look, I just think you're wonderful. And I'm going to, and I suppose he maybe had some of the men in the room there sort of egging him on and, and said, I'm going to give you anything you want. What would you like? I'll give you anything up to half the kingdom. Are you crazy? Well, I suppose he is a little crazy. What he is is enticed by this young woman. And, and so here you have this kind of dance. And incidentally, she goes out because there aren't any women in there. And she asks her mama, what should I ask for? And her mother says, ask for John the Baptist's head. And she comes back in and she says, 
I want, right now, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. Oh, Herod got sober real quick. And he regretted what he had said. He regretted all of that. He didn't mean for this to happen. He made bad choices while he was under the intoxication of this young woman's dancing. And so he did this foolish thing. And, but, but, but people had heard him make the vow. He, he was, he was caught in his own trap and he, he just turns and sends an executioner and they, they relieve John of his head. There are two kinds of dances, dancing in the Bible. And one is celebratory. There's nothing wrong with that. The other is salacious. There's something very wrong with that. When we talk about dancing today, in the, the kind of dancing that I'm describing to you, the kind of dancing that is, is most characteristic of the proms, it's in that second category. And there's some verses of Scripture that I, I find very problematic, that, that trouble me. And so I'm going to bring those to you and let you think about them. The first one is 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 21. I'll wait for you to get there. Unless when I come again, my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the, and there are three things here, the uncleanness, fornication, and licentiousness which they have committed. Now I want you to appreciate that you have kind of a sandwich. You have three, three terms there. The middle one is fornication. The other two words are obviously a sexual, in a sexual context. But they're not fornication. It's a big, big important thing to get. The red line isn't just at fornication. The red line is somewhat shy of that too. And licentiousness. Now the word licentiousness in some translations is lewdness. Lewdness. Which we don't use very much. We don't use licentiousness very much. And some translations will use the word lascivious. Lasciviousness. Now, let's go to the next slide. The, uh, there we go. Okay, good. The word lascivious, um, it's not about, it's not, uh, it's not fornication. The word lasciviousness would have to do with those things which are sexual in nature, but shy of fornication. If you wanted to talk about why it's wrong to use or create pornography, this is your word. This is where the Bible prohibits it. Now the word, the New Testament will use this word, uh, licentiousness or lewdness. Uh, probably 10 or 12 times in the New Testament. This is just one example of that. And Paul is very strong about this. Lasciviousness would be those things which would contribute to, would be sexual in nature, contribute to fornication, encourage fornication. Uh, some, some writings will say that, that create sexual arousal. That, so you get the context. That, that's the idea. I called my friend who's, who's a Greek, I think he's a Greek scholar. At least he's done a lot of work in, in the Greek language. And I asked him this question. Actually, I just emailed him and I said, so answer this question for me. The word lascivious in this verse, would you say that an example of what's described in the word lascivious would be characteristic of the common, the typical high school prom today? And he wrote back a very short line and he said, absolutely, and then he said, all you have to do is go to YouTube 
and look up high school prom dancing. And, and what you find when you do that is just videos made with telephones in lots of different proms around the country. These are not professional dancers. These are kids going to the high school prom. And, and when you do that, what you find a lot of is what this word means. That's the truth. You'll find pictures of what this word is describing. Now, the second word that I want to see is in this verse, same verse, but it's, it's the word uncleanness. Uncleanness is, I think, it's, I've always thought this is very interesting, that, that the Bible would use this word about things that are dirty in a sexual way. So if you say, that web, that's a dirty website. Uh, a mom says, dad says, you're not going to watch that. I want that turned off. That's a dirty website. What would you think that had to do with? Well, that's, it's this. It's, it's what this is. It's uncleanness. Or you think about a magazine, or you think about a movie, you think about a television show, and you say, that's dirty. Right, what is it? It's unclean. That, that's what this means. And so it's not just that it's lascivious, and it's transgressing the will of God, and it's a sin. It's, it's that he wants you to view it as filthy. This is filthy. Now, let me explain something to you about this, because it's really interesting that you think about a sexual relation between a man and a woman outside of marriage, and you see it inside of marriage, and one of them, God says, this is holy and pure and good. I approve this, I created this, and this is for you. And the other one, he says, this is sin, and you will lose your soul over this. Now, parenthetically, you know that there's forgiveness. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, there's forgiveness for those who will come to God and repent of this sin. But I'm telling you, it doesn't diminish the fact that the sin will take you to hell. That's what he says. You say, well, it's the same act. Yeah, but it's in a different place. It's very much like you think about when I was a kid, we would come in the house after playing sometimes, and we had mud on our shoes and playing. And, and we would, you could look at that yard out there and the place where we played, and I'm sure that my mother was so thankful for that, a place for us to grow and get stronger and enjoy, use our imaginations, and she'd say, isn't that beautiful out there? Maybe you look at the yard and you say, beautiful green grass, isn't that pretty? Beautiful sod, it's just beautiful. But we'd come in the house sometimes and get that mud on the carpet. You know what she'd say then? Look what you've done, this filthy, get your shoes out, go on and get out of here and clean that. And then she'd probably make me come in with a brush and we'd scrub it and she would not be happy with that at all. Wait a minute, I just thought you said it was a beautiful, wonderful thing out there. You were so thankful we had this ground on which to play. The, the sod is so pretty. Yeah, but, but where it is makes a difference. That's true about this subject. Now, I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 6 with me because Proverbs 6 is a great description of uncleanness or lasciviousness. It is not fornication. It is something before you get to fornication. It's something that, and there's many examples of it, and I suppose you could drop it into three categories of things that are unclean, that are lascivious, licentious, or lewd, three things. And it would have to do with, with uh, touch and words and sight. Here we go. This is a warning to a young man uh, about going near uh, around um, a prostitute, around a, a worldly woman who, 
who would entice him. So this is the warning in the book of Proverbs to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Now those, the, the word in caps there is mine. I put that in. So that's, that's not part of the Bible. I just wanted to, to bring out these three things. Words. Be careful about the words that are enticing. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart. Sight. Sight can be lascivious or licentious or lewd. Nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. And an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? That is the question. That's the question. So you say, the red line is fornication. And I know that outside of marriage, God damns that. God prohibits that. He forbids it. Yeah, but what about licentiousness? What about lasciviousness? Those things which would contribute to that or endorse that or be part of that before you get to it. And, and what the Bible is saying, and here it, it's borne out, he's not just saying, don't go sleep with this woman. What he's saying is, can you take, can you take hot coals into your bosom and not be burned? In other words, can you participate in lascivious things and it not bite you? It's going to burn you. The precaution then is not just about the act itself. The precaution is before you get to it. Can he walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who who goes to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. And there you have, and there you have touch. All right, now let's go to one more. Or to the next one anyway. Let's go to Romans chapter 14. These are passages of Scripture that are very troublesome when you start talking about the question of dancing. And dancing, by da- dancing I mean the kind of dancing that, we're, that we have concern with at this point. I want to be, begin in verse 11. And the word that I want to really pull out of this is reveling. I don't know, I know we don't use that very much, but that's the, that's the word. Now walk down through these verses very briefly with me. I'm in Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. And do this, knowing the time that's, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. I think that's very southern. It's, it's high time that you did this. Now, not all translations translated high time, and, and it's, it's similar, but high time... You know, why would you say that? Why would you say it's high time? Why, why do you use that term if you do? Why would you say it's high time we do this or that? And the point, of course, is that this is really important and we have wasted enough time. It's time now to get this done, right? Will you bear with me for just a minute? I want to read something to you. Because this high time phrase reminds me of this. Kay Ivey, she's the governor of Alabama, you know. She just signed recently a House Bill 322 into law, which would require students to use bathrooms corresponding to their sex at birth. And then she released the following statement regarding the signing of that bill. Buckle up. Here we go. Here in Alabama, men use the men's room and ladies use the ladies' room. It's really a no-brainer. This bill will also ensure our elementary school classrooms remain free from any kind of sex talk. Let me be clear to the media and opponents who like to incorrectly dub this the don't say gay amendment. That is misleading, false, and just plain wrong. We don't need to be teaching young children about sex. We're talking about five-year-olds for crying out loud. 
We need to focus on what matters, core instruction like reading and math. Now, that reminds me very much of Romans 13 here where he says, it's high time we did this. Uh, Bear with me, one more. She signed another bill, 184, into law, which would prohibit giving gender-affirming medicines to transgender youth. Here's the statement that she she gave gave to the press regarding the bill. Quote, there are very real challenges facing our young people, especially with today's societal pressures and modern culture. I believe very strongly that if, if, if the good Lord made you a boy, you are a boy. If he made you a girl, you are a girl. We should especially protect our children from these radical, life-altering drugs and surgeries when they are at such a vulnerable stage in life. Instead, let us all focus on helping them to properly develop into the adults God intended them to be. I'm going to vote for her. But I raise that just because of the plainness of the talk. And that's how it is. Now, back to Romans 13, verse 11. And do this, knowing the time that now... It is high time to awake out of sleep. This means in the way that we think. For now our salvation is nearer than we, when we first believed. In other words, look, and this, this is true about every generation. The, the end of the, this earth is, I mean, the clock is ticking. I don't know when it's going to happen. But our salvation, our eternity out there is nearer and nearer and nearer. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly. Some translations translate that decently. You know, everything ought to be done decently in an order. That's the same word. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness in licentiousness and wantonness, not in strife and envy. I want you to focus on that word, revelry. And we don't, I know we don't use the word, but, it, but what it means is a party, a kind of a party where you just kind of let things go. It's designed for that purpose. It's a party where you, maybe you're not much of a drinker, but you would be at that party. It's where you would let your moorings loose. It was where you would let your hair down. It was where you would, you would kind of cut loose. And, and, and licentiousness would be a part of that. It is, a, it is an apt description of the typical high school prom. It's what it is. And it's, it's described here with the word revelry. Instead, verse 14, it says, but instead, here's what you should do, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27, when we were baptized. It says we put on Christ. But there's a sense in which we keep putting him on in our lives as you would put on a garment, we, we put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. One more thing, the provision here, it literally means that you're providing for it. You're planning for the lusts. Did you ever know, do you know, how, much, you know how much kids pay to go to the prom? It's, it, will, it will take away your breath. It's a very expensive proposition. We talk about the, the, the dress and the, if you do the car, you do the whatever it is, it's going to be a lot of money. What's all, what's all that about? The answer is that you're making provision for this party, this event, which is characterized by this kind of dancing and typically some alcohol is involved in that. And it's not uncommon for, for kids to plan for intimacy to end that evening's activities. And so there's the word. Now, Here's the last one. I'm going to go to Matthew 5 and 28. 
And if you, if you talk about this subject, sometime in the sermon you're going to have this verse because it's something Jesus said that just, I don't know, it's just so relevant to the, to the discussion. Whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Here's a prohibition of the word lust. Now, here's the, here's the Greek definition for lust. I don't think anything is going to particularly surprise you about this. It's to covet that. It's to, I, I would shorten it if it were me and say that the word lust means the inordinate desire for that to which I have no right. But what I would really want you to see is that last line. I bolded it so you could follow me on this. Somebody asked me the question one time about lust, and they said, now, isn't it true that every man and woman who decides to marry desire one another in this way? I would say, of course that's true. Well, that being the case, doesn't it mean that every man and woman before they marry commit the sin of lust? That is not true. You see, because lust has this component, is to covet those things which are forbidden. And a couple who are Christians are not coveting that. They're coveting that act which God created men and women for inside the bounds of marriage. They want to get married. That's what. They want to enjoy the intimacy of marriage. What they're, what they're wanting is not something outside of marriage. They want what is inside of marriage. And therefore, the word lust is not applicable. You could use the word desire if you want to, and that would be true. But, but lust would not be true. Now, when you take a boy and a girl, I, I can remember being 17 and 18, and they're already crazy about each other. And then you... You create this moment in time that is by its very nature designed to be a time to sort of celebrate it a letting loose kind of, in a letting loose kind of way. You put them in the room and you, you dim the lights and you play loud music, some of which is very salacious. And they, they move their bodies together to the beat of that music or they, they hold their bodies together to the beat of that music. And then we say, now remember... That, that lust is a sin, and remember that fornication is a sin. Remember that lasciviousness is wrong. We're inconsistent. We're, we're inconsistent. Now listen closely to this old preacher, because I'm about to be finished, but I want you to hear me say this. And I want it to go deep into your soul on this subject. God is not keeping sex from us with these passages. He's keeping sex for us. He created it. It's a, it's a beautiful thing that's, that's connected forever in the relationship of marriage. And so we go to Genesis chapter 2 at the very creation, and the Bible says that they didn't have any clothes on, and they were not ashamed. Why did he put that last clause in there? Why and they were not ashamed? The answer is because... There are actions relative to this that deserve shame, that, that have shame attached to them. Lasciviousness is one of those. Reveling is one of those. Lewdness. Lust is one of those. Lust is the desire for that to which I have no right. And so, there you have it. This sermon is not really just about dancing. It's, it's, about, it's about other kinds of things, and you can make application to things 
that would fall into this category. And, and God says, look, don't touch that hot stove. You say, well, but Lord, I, I really want to touch the hot stove. No, don't touch it. Don't touch it. But Lord, how close can I get to the hot stove? Can I get this close? Can I get this close? And, and God's saying, just, just get away from the stove. Just, just get away from the stove. There'll be time that you'll be old enough to use that stove. You'll know what you're doing, but not now. Not now. Thank you for listening. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. We have a good crowd of folks, and I'm so happy that you've chosen to be part of this assembly. I wonder if there's someone here this morning who's been considering obeying the gospel and becoming a Christian. And we'd be so happy to help you to do that. The Bible says to become a Christian, you have to hear the word of God and believe it and believe that Jesus is the son of God. And you have to repent of your sins and confess that he's the son of God before people. Do you believe that he's the son of God? Some people have died for that confession. But if you do, and if you'll confess him, then you can be baptized. The Bible says it's to wash away your sins. And then you'll be a Christian. You'll be part of the family of God. If you need to, you've already done that, but you need to be restored today. For whatever reason, you need the prayers of the church. Now would be a great time. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.